Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. Welcome on. Can you give our listeners a little bit of an introduction to who you are and why you're on the podcast? Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. My name is Kayleen Gunn. My pronouns are she and her. And I am a geoscientist by training, but a marine scientist and science communicator by practice. Um, And I work at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory's Coastal Sciences Division. Which listeners might have recognized from a previous episode because you do work with Alicia? Yes, I work with Alicia every single day. Oh, I love that. We work on the same team. Yeah. That is the coolest. Wonderful. (laughs) You guys do do very different things though with that, like scientific communication and what she's doing a little bit two different ways. So I'm excited to kind of get into that. Yeah, absolutely. So you said you're a geoscientist by trade. What is a geoscientist? Because I feel like that's a pretty broad term. It's very broad. Um, (laughs) And, you know, sometimes it's funny with science. And I've talked about this with some of my colleagues. Sometimes it's hard to identify a proper term for your work because oftentimes we do a lot of different things and science is very interdisciplinary. It isn't always, but um, I study geology in college. I went to a small liberal arts school in Maine and studied geology specifically focusing on geochemistry. Um, I love geology on a scale that you can see things happen Yes, (laughs) because the 200, 400 million year time (laughs) scales are really hard for me to comprehend. Um, So I studied geochemistry and my senior thesis work was Sorry, I just had something pop up. I'm going to need that. Um, I, my senior thesis work was studying geochemistry in salt marshes. So looking at sediments and greenhouse gases and how microbes interact with different salinities of water um, and how that interacts with carbon cycles and affects greenhouse gas emissions. So that was really my work. And that's what I mean by geoscientist, um, yeah. because I wasn't, I'm really a geologist um, in my training, but geoscience was such a big part of how my career sort of took, yeah, took the path shape. it did. Yeah. Um, so I studied salt marshes and then I continued marsh wetland work at the Pacific Northwest National Lab or PNNL, um, studying actually tidal freshwater marshes and the impact of sea level rise so very similar work but in different ecosystems one's meant to be salty and one's not (laughs) um and I did a lot of biogeochemistry work for during my um beginning years at PNNL and then I started to work in the marine energy space with the Triton initiative which is what Alicia talked to you about um so my geoscience part of my career was very focused on wetlands and sediment and that whole abiotic non-living world. (laughs) Fun. I love wetlands and marshes. I just like from like elementary school, middle school, the field trips I remember the most for when they would like take us out to like the wetlands and be like, Mm -hmm. okay, now like go catch frogs. Cause I was like 
hell yes, I'm in my element. This is the oh. best day of my life. Yeah, it's, like, it's so, fun. so cool. So fun. You get to be muddy all the time. I mean, I'm sorry. How do you not love that? Like, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I mean, I guess there are people who don't love that. But for those <laughs> of us who do, wetland science is a great uh, place to be. It is awesome. Sure. So did you grow up on the East Coast? Is that why you chose Maine or what brought you there? Yeah. So I grew up in Connecticut and my family vacationed on the coast of Maine quite a bit. Um, and spent the majority of our time whenever we were on vacation walking along beaches looking at sea glass rocks you know just asking questions about the environment and I think that's why I ended up studying geology I would pick up rocks and ask questions and try to figure things out and both my brother and I ended up studying geology and I have a feeling those hours in Maine on the beach had a lot to do with that. Definitely. I will say I've traveled a lot of places and I live in New Brunswick. So just beside Maine and the rocks we have here cooler than anywhere else. And I will stand by that. There's so many different ones. They're so cool. They're so cool. It's such a cool place to study geology and that was a lot of the reason I decided to go to school in Maine and ended up realizing if I studied geology, I got to be outside all the time and by the ocean. And what I could feel be like better? that's like a draw to a lot of us in this field is like, oh, I want to spend my time outside. And then you get hit with the really nasty realization that you get to spend a lot of time looking at your computer and only a little time outside. This is true. This is true. <laughs> but ideally you can sneak in field work now and then so um, yes that is I spend most of my time in front of a screen but um we get to schedule field work every once in a while and sometimes and it makes it worth it right (laughs) it makes it worth it exactly so what took you to the west coast what brought you to PNNL well um so I guess I'll start with I studied abroad in New Zealand and no I studied way. field geology, geology. Yes, it was incredible. And I love the ocean. And then in New Zealand, I fell in love with really big mountains. Yes. And there are very few places where you have really big <laughs> mountains next to the ocean. Um, and I wanted to do coastal research, but I needed the mountains. So Squim, Washington out on the Olympic Peninsula is one of those places. So I was looking in Washington to study um, and continue my research. And um, PNNL at the time had just started this project looking at sea level rise, potential sea level rise effects on freshwater tidal wetlands on the Columbia River um, or those sediments. So that's that was sort of the way I moseyed on out to the West Coast. And that's, yeah, it's a really good place so to be. Cool. I love that you were like, okay. I love the mountains. I love the oceans. I will narrow down what I want to do based on that. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's how everyone should do it. It's fine to be love or find somewhere you love and just do something there. It's easy enough. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, it definitely worked out. I will say I was very lucky that they needed a research <laughs> associate in this very specific niche area. <laughs> Um, so sometimes the universe just works out that way. So, um, right? Yeah, I love it. I also feel like geology is one of those things that you don't immediately associate with marine science. Like when I was going through my undergrad, we when I first started, we had the choice between like physics 
and geology and you could pick like one or the other for your elective and I was like why would I need and I was like I'm not doing physics absolutely not like I barely got through that in high school like I did fine (laughs) just hated it hate math basically my entire way up through university was trying to figure out how I could avoid math at all costs yeah I understand turns out you can't (laughs) uh which is nasty surprise again but I chose geology and I was like where is this going to come into play in marine biology Mm -hmm. it does surprise turns out it's the foundation of everything right (laughs) it really is it's like the the groundwork literally like it is that base layer yeah exactly um and I I realized in college before I started my senior thesis that I was really interested in living things and I was studying all non-living things and I was really wanting to start to you know do a little bit more ecology than geology and it's really easy because it turns out living and non-living things interact quite a bit in the environment and having that foundational understanding of how geology works and geochemistry specifically you can add the bio onto the front of that um, and study a lot of different aspects of the ecosystem so biogeochemistry is is a great way to sort of merge those interests for sure and there's a lot of biogeochemistry in coastal systems (laughs) that sounds like a terrifying field just hearing the name of it like imagine you're just like entering this field and you're like I'm studying biogeochemistry like whoa okay slow yeah, down it's terrifying like, and of course that? yeah yeah um anytime you merge like three fields <laughs> it's, together, gonna, be it's scary. gonna be scary um and as a budding science communicator I should know to like never even use that because it's so intimidating but let's when you break like, it down making them less intimidating like hearing biogeochemistry and making it sound like a normal word and not just biogeochemistry yeah I mean it's just biology living things yeah geology non-living things and chemistry how things interact and it's a lot less intimidating (laughs) I love that it sounds like a very cool field so like what do you do with that as compared to like like you're doing a couple different things here like you have your biogeochemistry and you're also doing like social media scientific communication like where do you fall right now with what you're doing? So I am actually not using my biogeochemistry background much at all lately. Amazing. Um, what the beauty of working at a place like PNNL um, and the Coastal Sciences Division and um, the Marine and Coastal Research Laboratory, which is the facility that um, you know our division works at, is that you get to work on lots of different projects and you get to follow your passions. And I am somebody who really likes every day to look a little different. So I was working on a lot of biogeochemistry projects. I was working on the Columbia river. I was doing all sorts of restoration work and it was amazing. Um, And then I had an opportunity to work with the Triton initiative. So now I do a lot of marine energy research um, or work with a team who does marine energy research as their science communicator. Um, And then I also work as a trainer for science communication at my lab um, through a program called the STEM ambassador program. 
So my current two roles are working for our office of STEM education as a STEM ambassador training trainer, and then working as a science communicator for Triton. Very cool. So all that biogeochemistry <laughs> stuff was a couple of years ago, but hopefully I'll get to use it again sometime soon. Here we are it's like constantly evolving. Big talking that and you're like, so actually, <laughs> it's great time. Great time. Totally which 180 I, there. <laughs> which I will say um, is something that I talk about a lot when I'm doing outreach um, to students who are like, I don't know what I want to do. It's like, that's okay because that's it totally might change. Fine every year, every couple yes. years, you know, you can apply your skills and your knowledge to so many different things. And it doesn't mean you have to work on the same thing forever. If you want to be an expert in your field, that's probably the path you're likely to go down. Um, but even then, I feel like there's just so much possibility in the world of science. Um, and I am a true example of that because I've had a million jobs within my little career at PNNL. I, it kind of goes back to what we talked about right at the very beginning, but wearing a lot of hats and like science, I feel like is disguised in like, you're like, okay, I'm going into marine science or marine biology or oceanography. I'm only going to be doing that. And it's like, okay, but within that field, you also like have some chemistry that you're going to be doing. You also have geology or statistics, like depending on like kind of which direction you take it, if it's going to be like research-based or if you're doing outreach then you're gonna get really good at presentations and like public speaking and you're wearing no matter what path you take you're gonna be wearing a lot of different hats here yeah exactly and I personally think that that's one of the most exciting aspects of the fields that we're in because you get to constantly learn and I think most scientists would agree that one of the reasons we go into science is because we love learning. Um, yeah, so absolutely. we get to constantly learn how to navigate all of these different roles. And what fun is it being presented with a new challenge every day? How yeah, boring exactly. would life be if you got up and did the same thing every day? I could never. Like, Definitely wouldn't work for me. <laughs> even, even going to school every day, I was like, oh man, this is not for me. Like I've, I've got to do something that's fun and changing yeah. and like new questions and new things which is why I think outreach is so fun like mm-hmm. and very like much so the the path that I want to pursue because it's always changing you're always talking to new people you're always getting new perspectives which I think is a really cool part of it like every person you talk to that you have a conversation with you're gonna get like it's it's like those funhouse mirrors. The only way I can think to describe it is like the funhouse mirrors, like everyone you look into is going to give you kind of like a different shape of yourself or like putting your thoughts into it and seeing a different version of them come back. And it's so cool. Yeah. I love that analogy. That's fantastic. Um, one thing we talk about a lot in our STEM ambassador program is that humans are not empty vessels that you're going to pour information into when you're talking about your science. They come yes. to the table with so many life experiences and ideas and preconceptions about things. And sometimes they're misconceptions, but they come to the table with so many things and then apply whatever you're teaching them to those things. And it makes every conversation so unique and interesting. And I love that. It's a really exciting part of outreach, that aspect of the science communication. So what is the STEM ambassador program? Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so the STEM ambassador program, has, let's see, 
it started in 2018. Um, a couple of my colleagues realized that it would be great to have a training that taught scientists at PNNL how to communicate their work and try to increase engagement with the community and really just get PNNL's science out there because we do really cool research at our lab, um, not just coastal research, but all sorts of different research. Um, and I was trained as a STEM ambassador a year after the program started. And basically it's an eight hour training that's based off of research on how people learn. And it's all these activities that teach scientists strategies for communicating their work to various audiences um, and finding ways to talk about their work in a way that doesn't dumb things down, but just creates more access to information. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you made that note about like not dumbing things down. I can't remember where I heard it, but so, like somewhere along my life, I heard like the second you try and dumb something down is the second that people check out because they're like, Absolutely. you're not treating me like an equal. You're treating me like I don't know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And it's such an important element to this training. So Absolutely. I took this training and um, I, this fire inside me just totally lit ignited <laughs> ignited and I, I was it. like I love this work I always loved outreach and education but this gave me more tools um and I just found myself pursuing every possible opportunity to communicate my science to do outreach and then I started to work with our office of stem education to co-facilitate these trainings with my wonderful colleague Karen um and we also, so we do these trainings, it's eight hours of learning how to communicate. And then we work with the scientists to create these interactive displays where they can bring materials to outreach events and with using games or demonstrations or different activities, they can help communicate their concepts um, through these interactive displays. And that multi-sensory interaction creates opportunities for really meaningful learning experiences. That is awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. So that's how the STEM ambassador program works. And um, it's, it's just been a, an amazing program that has really allowed me to pursue my love of science communication and helps me in my role as science communicator for a technical project. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And it introduces like SciCom or like scientific communication to people that might not have like a lot of experience with it or not realize how big of a tool it actually is. I would love to see every scientist in the world to do this training because everything, everyone, no matter how good at science communication you are, can get something out of it. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. And learning at a at an early part in your career of your career to communicate your work not only helps you you know do outreach and communicate your science to the public but it you write better proposals you can communicate your research to sponsors you can communicate to other scientists and it increases collaboration yeah. so there are so many really positive things um to Absolutely. scientists learning how to communicate it's very pretty. And I feel like we're in a really cool slash just like interesting phase where we're kind of not moving away from, but modifying that very like formal scientist speak 
into more mm-hmm. of like not everyday talk but doesn't sound so like this is my project my project is looking at this and like using these huge technical terms like lots of jargon and making it more like user-friendly and also like interesting like hey guys look at this this is cool and like making science I don't want to say more casual but just like more approachable absolutely and that's a really great word for it I think going back to that concept of science being intimidating too by learning how to talk about it in this approachable interesting way it's also going to invite our next generation of scientists who have you know could potentially help us change the world it's going to invite people to explore science in maybe a new way I feel like there are so many cases where a kid has a bad interaction with science because it's too intimidating or too technical or they don't understand the words and they're like I will never get this I'm not good enough I'm not going to do it yeah and that kid might be the next brilliant scientist who's going to come up with the next brilliant climate change solution you know (laughs) um so yeah creating a space where people can see themselves in science by diversifying science, increasing representation of those talking about science, all of these things just help create the next generation of scientists. Um, And I think that's something that's really important to me. It's also important to me that, you know, the average person you're talking to trusts your science and transparency is important and all of those things. Absolutely. Science shouldn't just be for scientists. I mean, like, it's obviously pretty important to have more scientists coming in, right. but <laughs> it shouldn't just be for scientists. Like it should be able to like, neither of my parents, like both my parents studied business and I should be able to like talk to them and be like, Hey, did you see this? And then be like, yeah. And rather than no, what are you talking about? Like, it's a very like niche world kind of thing that needs like a more, like we said, approachable and easy to understand kind of outlook from it, which I'm glad we're moving towards. Yeah, absolutely. It allows change to happen quicker based on science. Um, Absolutely. And that's really what we're trying to do with with Triton. Um, And that's something that I would love to touch on. Absolutely. Always talking about accessibility in science reminds me of that, like, it's literally a meme, but it's like, the, p- the paper that's titled like the growing inaccessibility of science and then right underneath <laughs> it, it's like to read article you must purchase for $8.99 and it, oh, totally. it just always reminds me of that because it's just like yeah we want to make science more accessible but we won't yeah so it's and I think it's getting better I will yes. say I'll add like a positive spin onto that I totally agree with you but I think it's getting better Absolutely. open access journals are improving Um, plain text, you know, interpretations of journals are improving, but you're right. Science is built on tradition and the tradition sort of creates this structure where you're trained as a scientist. You probably have a million letters after your name, which, you know, doesn't (laughs) always have to be the case. And then you conduct your research and it's written in a journal that nobody has access to and (laughs) in a language that very few people understand. Um, And I love that that's changing. Um, yes. um, and there's reason that things are done the way they are. It's important to publish work in a, in a way that scientists know how to communicate it and know how to utilize it. And that's really important, yeah. but it's also important to have that additional element for 
people outside that field yes, to yeah. also understand the science. So yeah. I see value in both. And I think it's just <laughs> important to have, have both elements. Absolutely. I feel like literally the easiest way to fix it is like make journals free. Now that being said, like, that's like a very like basic, like someday I do understand that there's logistics behind that and that it can't just be like, mm, you know what? I'm going to decide that this journal's free now, but I am glad that we have people like you working towards this kind of goal of like making scientific communication easier for people outside the scientific field. And especially with what you're doing with Triton, which we can absolutely dive like right into because it is so cool what everything like the Triton initiative is doing. So I would love to hear your perspective on it and what you're trying to put out there. Yes. So I know um, many of your listeners probably heard from Alicia. Um, who is the project manager of Triton, Alicia Amerson. She's wonderful. Um, and Triton, the Triton Initiative is a Department of Energy Water Power Technologies office project that is designed to understand the potential environmental impacts of marine energy systems um, through exploring environmental monitoring technologies and how to study the environment around these systems. Um, so our team does a couple of things. We study technology and methods for monitoring the environment for stressors like changes in habitat, underwater noise, collision risk, electromagnetic fields, and some other things. Um, and then also the project has started to research actual interactions between stressors or aspects of marine energy systems um, that could potentially stress or cause harm to the environment. So interactions between those stressors and receptors like fish, marine mammals, habitats, things like that. So the team is doing all this research to try to understand if there are environmental impacts of marine energy devices in the water and that supports the permitting of getting these devices in the water, testing them, and seeing if they're viable technologies for clean energy for the United States. So I feel like that was kind of a long-winded answer, <laughs> but Train's doing this very specific thing that's really important for making marine energy technologies a possible renewable energy resource for yeah. the nation. That is awesome. It is so cool. And like, talking to Alicia and also you about like what you guys are doing it just blows my mind every time because it's such a cool thing like I love it, it is yes and I don't think a lot of people really know about marine energy and I probably Absolutely not should have started with that <laughs> um of course as a science communicator I'm still learning sometimes Absolutely. Sometimes I forget the order of things, um, the well, things when you're in, <laughs> when you're in such a, like when you're in this field and you're talking about it every day, it's very easy to get kind of like, not caught up, but like forget that other people aren't discussing it every day. Yeah. And yeah. like, it just like, I literally, my, my school right now is looking at whale tail, like humpback whale tails pattern on there and they're called flukes. And I always, I'm like, oh yeah, like I'm looking at humpback whale flukes and people are like, what's a fluke? <laughs> And I'm like, this is so obvious. Like, why don't people know what a fluke is? And I'm like, mm, pretty understandable not to know that. That's a pretty obscure piece of knowledge. Yeah, in- but it becomes, I mean, it's jargon, right? It becomes yeah, like exactly. such a natural part of our language. And then 
Um, also, when you're excited about talking about a subject, it's like suddenly all of the words flurry together. Um, but what marine is energy? energy? Yeah, give us a <laughs> give us the energy? rundown on what it actually is. So, uh, marine energy harnesses the power of waves, tides, ocean currents, salinity gradients, and river currents actually um, mm -hmm. for electricity. So those devices could look like tidal turbines, um, wave energy converters, which float on the top of, on the surface of the water and harness the energy of the waves that way. Um, they could be current energy converters in rivers. So there are all sorts of technologies. Um, a lot of them are really innovative and really interesting um, that capture that energy yeah. from the ocean and convert it to electricity. That is so, so cool. Yeah. And um, I recently was reading a report that the, the Department of Energy and National Renewable Energy Lab put together um, that found that if we utilize all the available marine energy resources in the U.S., it would make up 57% of our nation's electricity, which 57. is approximately, yes, and that's approximately 220 million homes. Um, Obviously, that's if we utilize all of the resources, yeah. which is not likely, but that just shows the potential for this. I mean, the U.S. has so much coastline. We have offshore, we have areas that have crazy big waves. Yeah. Um, and there's just so much potential here, but we don't have a lot of devices in the water because there's a lot of uncertainty around yeah. how they might affect the environment. Absolutely. So that's where, that's where you guys in. come in. Yeah, absolutely. I think what blows my mind about marine energy the most is like is it considered like a renewable energy source is that what it would be like classified as yeah yep because it never runs out yeah but it's so weird to me because it's like it's not even like renewable like it's just like constant there it's just <laughs> yeah. there like why are we not already doing this like yeah i mean if you think about it and i love solar energy love wind energy but the sun isn't always shining and the wind is not always blowing but the tides, no matter Always what, going. as long as the sun is there and as long as the moon is there, they will come in and out twice a day. They are so consistent. Um, and there are areas where wave energy is also very consistent. Yeah. So, And yeah. you mentioned salinity. That one's really cool to me. So there's marine energy and salinity. So there's, I, I don't do this research. <laughs> um, I don't have a good understanding of it, but it is part of the marine energy portfolio where you can so take cool. advantage of changes in salinity gradients um and there's something with density or something i'm gonna misrepresent <laughs> it so i'm not even gonna go there but um there is a way to capture changes in salinity gradients that is so cool this this portion of the podcast is the do your own google search podcast where <laughs> we we give our best guess and then yes. leave it up to you guys to do the research yes that sounds great <laughs> i will not pretend to be an expert on that i love that i know sometimes people will ask me questions or like they'll send a message to like the water woman account and they're like how does this work and I'm like girl I don't know but thank you for thinking of me like yeah, thank you hey. for thinking I have this knowledge <laughs> but it's just, marine energy is just so cool and I know that Alicia and I talked about it where so I live right on the Bay of Fundy the oh, awesome. biggest tides in the entire world mm -hmm. how is that not being utilized already like we have like thousands of tons of water that flow in and out every like six hours like that is insane yeah well first of all cool place to live I the guess. best 
Um, but I think that they've done demonstrations there. So I think they're testing it out. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna confirm that. So I'm not giving you false information, but, um, yeah, there are areas where tides are just massive and really strong. Um, so having a device that can just hang out and generate electricity makes so much sense. Um, and especially in areas like the Bay of Fundy. Sorry, the wind is so loud at my door. I sounded like someone was knocking. That really threw me off for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who is here? I don't know anyone. Um, that is so cool. And like, it, the fact that you can use it for that is just unreal. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's <laughs> there, here comes super, the but. Yeah. Super important that we are confident that if we're putting these things in the water, that they are not impacting the environment in a negative way because yeah. we're trying to help the environment with this you know renewable energy resource um so it's important to to have that confidence yeah. in its safety and sustainability and i you know the state of the science shows that a lot of these really big concerns like collision risk are not um not as big of a concern as maybe they're originally were thought um yeah. you know no collision risks have been actually observed to this point in time so you know where i'm not saying the but because i actually think that they could be harmful but we yeah. do need to do the research well, absolutely to quantify it and you know have a database to actually show hey we have monitored this environment effectively yeah. and monitored each environment has to be monitored differently you know you can't do monditoring at the bay of fundy and then put something in california and assume it's going to have the same react the same effect. same impact absolutely two completely exactly. different ecosystems so it's going to be two completely different testings for that, that exactly exactly so cool yeah so triton is is doing some work to make sure that there are technologies out there that can be deployed in these different environments and do yeah. the monitoring, um, that they're cost effective and, you know, there are, they're user friendly. So when the time comes to do this monitoring work and, um, do sort of pre-installation baseline tests, it's the technologies are available. Um, so that's a piece of Triton that is super important and really helps advance the industry. Absolutely. So what, like when you're doing your scientific communication for Triton, what is like your, the biggest takeaway you want people who maybe don't have any information about any marine science or marine energy at all? What is your biggest like takeaway you want them to get when you're talking to them and explaining what's going on? So first of all, I think it's important to know about marine energy and that's, you know, with all of our science communication work, we try to introduce marine energy as this technology with vast potential. Um, yeah. So I think that's like a very important basic thing that we want to get across, but also what we really try to do is invite people into the science so they understand the research we're doing and we're really transparent about the work we're doing. So we want people to come to our website or read our blog stories and get a sense of how the work is actually done and why it matters. And that why is so important in science because I feel like 
a lot of people know science happens, but understanding the purpose of it and how it can actually be utilized, um, I think is really important. So whenever we're doing any science communication, whether it's through social media, through a website, through a newsletter, all of these things, we really want to articulate, this is why we're doing it and this is how we're doing it. Um, and invite people into what it's like to be a researcher yeah. in, for the Triton Initiative. I love how transparent you guys are with like, you can go on your website and first of all, it's incredibly user-friendly. Like it's not one of those websites that you get stuck in this like endless loop of like trying to find something and like links taking you random places. Like it's very user-friendly. And it also, so to hear that. <laughs> it also explains things in such an easy way that like, I'm in the scientific field and when I start reading something and it has a lot of jargon, I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I don't want to put the mental energy into this and this is my field. So I can only imagine how like mentally exhausting that would be for someone who has no previous knowledge of this and is like, oh, I kind of want to learn about this, but it explains it. Your website explains it in such an easy way to understand that it's like, oh, and it like answers, like, as you're reading, you might like come up with some questions and like two seconds later, your questions are answered. Like it covers this it's so user-friendly which is amazing well I'm really really happy to hear that and that's absolutely the goal um and we were talking about jargon and intimidation factors and all of that before and um one thing we really try to do is like okay we have a technical term that we have to define how do we define it in a way that's not gonna you know dumb things down and like yeah. all of these things we've been talking about are strategies that we try to constantly employ yeah. to make sure whoever's coming to the site, whether you're a researcher who could be a potential partner, somebody in the general public, a regulator who wants to understand the results, like we want to make sure everybody can come to our products or maybe that's a weird word to say, but come to our content and get something out of it. Yeah, sure. absolutely. I love it. What is your favorite part about doing scientific communication for Triton? Like, what do you love sharing or what really makes it like worth it? So I love telling people's science stories um, and or helping people tell their science stories and humanizing our science and talk. I love talking about the researchers and how they came to their work and what they love about their work and how they're conducting their research. We have a blog called the Triton Stories that we release every month. And I, I interview that. one of our researchers or leadership or somebody on the team who makes Triton possible. Um, and I ask them about their path to science, um, you know, what they love to do and why their research matters. And writing those pieces and being able to tell those stories is just such a rewarding part of my job because it helps with that humanizing science. I get to know my colleagues really well, which is really awesome. And it's an opportunity to, to really let people in to yeah. what it's like to be on our team. I love um, that. So that's probably my favorite part of my I, job, although I have lots of favorite parts. I can totally see that being the favorite just because like if you're ever feeling kind of like we, I feel like every job you go into, you get like that stagnancy or like that, oh, why, why did I do this? Like after like one bad day, you're just like, oh man. And I feel like that would give you just like a whole like refresh of like, man, I do love this work. I do 
I, this there's a reason I'm doing this I do love this and like kind of reignite that passion for you Absolutely. Every time I work on one of those stories, I come away being like, Trian is amazing. Like, this is incredible. We're changing the world. (laughs) It's like the best feeling. And yeah, I mean, no matter how cool your job is, like there's that monotony or whatever that it's sometimes feels like a job. And those moments I'm like, gosh, this is such cool work. And I am so grateful to be part of this team. So um, yeah, you're totally right. I love that. Okay. Before we sign off, if someone's listening to this and they are like, okay, Triton's kind of cool. Maybe I think what would you want to be their biggest takeaway from this? Or what would you say to them to make them want to learn more about Marine energy and check you guys out? Oh my gosh. That that's, a, is... that's a loaded question. <laughs> that's a that, big one. That is a really big question. Okay. So I would say the thing I want people to take away is that there is a lot of amazing science out there and I want people to always feel like they can go out and learn something. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want people to feel empowered to pursue their interest in science. And that kind of goes back to creating access that goes back to lowering intimidation factors. I want people to pursue science and if they're interested in marine science, maybe they haven't heard about marine energy. And I want people to feel empowered to go pursue marine energy internships (laughs) or go learn about it. You know, just, I I feel like I want science to be more accessible to people just in general. That is a huge part of my job, my work as a science communicator, as a lover of outreach, and as a lover of science and the ocean. I just want people to go pursue their passions. And if you're passionate about science, I don't want there to be any barriers to that. Um, So I love the way you phrase that. Go pursue it. Go, you know, go find science communicators out there, podcast hosts, or people who are creating content that make science more accessible because you never know what's going to spark an interest or what you're going to find. Um, we're hoping to create those opportunities for people through our social media, through our stories. We want people to come to our content and say, whoa, marine energy, there is research in this. Like, yeah, I never knew that there were engineering jobs in this or whatever. Um, and we want to create that space to become passionate, um, or learn more, or I don't know, try to learn something (laughs) new. So that was very poorly articulated, but not at all. That was fantastically articulated. I feel like there are a lot of people, a lot of things I want people to take away. There's a lot of takeaway here. Yes. Science communication is important. Um, articulating and communicating results and research processes are important. And I love that it's becoming a bigger field. I love that more people are doing it every single day. And I'm just really happy I get to do it for Triton. I love that. Oh, that's so nice that you're like, yeah, Triton, this is it. I love that you love that. That's the best. Yeah, Triton's awesome. And I also work with so many awesome water women. Oh, <laughs> Our team coolest. is full of just brilliant women. And um, I know you got to talk to Alicia and it, it's just really awesome to be a part of 
a team that's trying to do something good for the environment and also just loves their work. That is so cute. I love it. It's so nice to like <laughs> know that there's these like teams of women that are just like supporting one another and really just like thriving all around. It's the best feeling. It is. And we have some incredible men on our team as well. Um, not to, <laughs> not to, you know, they're not allowed on the podcast. They're not, <laughs> no, no. they're not allowed on the podcast, but you know, we, we can give them a shout out. Everybody. Though. Yeah. We'll give them a shout out because everybody on Triton is fantastic. But, awesome. um, so yeah. if someone's hearing this and it's like, okay, I'm convinced now I've taken the takeaways. I want to check out more from Triton. Where can they find Triton on social media? And if you're comfortable, where can they find you? Yeah. So, um, to go to the Triton website, which I feel like is a great way to access a lot of our content. Um, it's at pnnl.gov slash projects slash Triton. We do all of our social media through PNNL's platforms. So you can go to PNNL. Um, I think it's PNN lab on Instagram, all of the, the platforms, um, LinkedIn, all of these things, Triton gets out there quite a bit. Um, and then you can learn about some of the other great work that's done at, at PNNL. Um, and let's see, you can always find me at LinkedIn, Kayleen Gunn. Um, I tend to post a lot about our <laughs> Triton work there. Um, yeah. I love it. That's awesome. And that will all be tagged below in the uh, description of the podcast, as well as on all of our social media again, for sure. Kaylee, it was so nice talking to you. I feel like we could talk for hours today. Like, I feel like I finally found a kindred soul about like scientific communication being like, yes, everyone, everyone come into it, please. Uh, love that. And you are very much doing your part with this podcast. I love what you're doing. And um, yeah, it's such a cool mode of science communication and it's you're so doing just such an amazing job. So oh, thank you awesome. so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. I love sharing these stories with you, and I love that you love to listen. Make sure if you like the podcast, you're leaving a review and liking and subscribing to the podcast. It really helps us out. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Water Women Podcast and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also check out more from us, including quizzes, blog posts, and shop our site at waterwomenpodcast.ca. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, stay salty.